Children's Church Sunday School. Well, it has been a full weekend for the men and, um, and for our uh, men's conference speaker as he has been sharing the Word of God with us all weekend. It's a joy to have him come and preach this morning uh, to us. And um, I met him several years back, I guess five years ago, four or five years ago, on a Zoom call or a FaceTime call. And he told me he listened to my sermon twice before he started critiquing me. And I, I kind of felt like I was in trouble at that point. <laughs> Anybody would listen to it once. I mean, you know, you just have to. Well, you have to. You don't have much of a choice. But, uh, but he, uh, he then was a great encouragement to me and has been since then. Uh, so it's, it's a joy to have him be able to come and minister to our men and, and then to our church family this morning. Uh, Michael uh, Staten is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Mustang, Oklahoma where he has served, just celebrated 22 years of uh, being the pastor there. He's been married to Marcy, who's also with him, and uh, for 26 years, they have two adult sons. Michael is a preaching mentor for doctrinal students at the Master's Seminary and a regular online contributor for TMS. He's the author of Anchored in Hope, a 40-day devotional, and Christmas, God's Greatest Gift. He also just published uh, a great little book on... Uh, prayer, I would recommend that. Um, pray then like this, and you can find that on Amazon or at his website, everywordpreach.com. Well, it's been a joy to have him and his wife with us and get to know them a little better and uh, then just have him come and preach to us this morning, so you be praying for him and uh, God would use him. Uh, Michael, won't you come? Appreciate that. It is a real honor to be here. I shared with the men a couple of nights ago that any time I have the privilege to be able to stand in front of God's people and open up the Word of God, it is it is a joy. It really is. I mean that. I have so enjoyed my time here and the hospitality of this church and of your pastor and and of Mary and, and of everyone that I've met here has been so kind and uh, we enjoyed so much uh, this weekend getting a chance to, to study God's Word. I love getting to talk to as many of the men as I can, and uh, try to meet as many of you as I could before the service. And I haven't been able to say hi to you yet. I hope to be able to do so after the service. As your pastor said, my wife and I have been in our church for 22 years, and uh, love where we are. The Lord has been so kind and so good to us. And just just a, a real quick word um, for me, I, I understand that, that you've come here today because it's, it's the Lord's day, and, and this is where we want to be. We want to gather with God's people. We want to hear from the Lord. But I, as I look at you today, my, my assumption is that you are saying to me in, by your presence uh, that, that you want to hear from Jesus. You want to hear from the Word. You want to hear from uh, our Lord. You want to know how we can know Christ better. And, and my hope and my desire today is to, to serve you faithfully, uh, just to walk you through the text of God's Word, help you to understand what's there, and ultimately so that we would leave this place and we would reflect Christ our Savior all the more. I do want you to know it is, it is a privilege for, for Mars and I to be able to be here. Uh, we do not take lightly an invitation to be able to come and to minister. Uh, the church is a special place. It's a dear place. Uh, the preaching and handling of God's Word from this pulpit uh, is a very, very special thing. And so 
Uh, I receive with great gratitude and, and real honor the invitation to be here uh, and, and to serve and, and to minister to you. On a personal note, I'd like to thank you for uh, blessing us with snow. Um, in Oklahoma, uh, our snow usually comes with about a half an inch of ice, which makes it nearly impossible to move. And so just to be able to look out and see the snow is, is just gorgeous. I know for you, it's just like the sunrise. You, you see it all the time. Uh, but for us Okies, uh, th- this, is, this is a great, great special gift for us. So uh, for pulling that off, I say thank you. All right. Uh, open your Bible with me to the passage that was just read to us, if you would, in Genesis 17. Let me take just a brief moment and and remind you of what's going on when we come to Genesis 17. And I want to walk you through this this brief passage that uh, is likely familiar with with many of you. uh, And I hope be able to share things that are biblically true and I pray a great encouragement to your own soul this morning. You'll recall that God has made a promise to a man named Abram, has called him and That happened, of course, in Genesis 12, and it's reaffirmed in Genesis 15. And while Abram, as we know him, Abraham, is is an example to us of great faith, he is an imperfect man that still sins, as as we all do, his faith begins to waver. His faith begins to waver primarily because God has made this amazing promise to him that he was going to use him to be the, the father of the promise and He was going to use him to be this amazing blessing to all of the world of of the seed that would come through him. But in Abram's mind and his reckoning, time was running out. It's not so much that he didn't believe God's promise as much as he didn't understand how was God's promise going to fit in with real time and space. His age, his wife's age, all of the realistic challenges that that would present. So, in a moment that is not their proudest, his wife devises a plan and encourages Abraham, Abram at the time, to have a relationship with his wife's maidservant. That takes place, Genesis 16, and Abraham and Hagar conceive a child named, as you know, Ishmael. Ishmael, though, was not the child of the covenant, This was the work of Abraham and Sarah, not of the Lord's blessing. And it's hard for us, I think, to fully grasp and to put into words all that Abram would be living with. He's got the great joy of knowing God has called him and God has promised him and God has established his covenant with him. And yet the despair of not understanding how it was going to take place. And then they have to live with the reality that they in a moment of weakness and of faltering faith, did what they should not have done. Go back actually to Genesis 16, to the very end. In verse 15 it says, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. He's 86. In his mind, time is running out. 
And it's not just running out on him physically and on the promise, but what do you do if the God of all gods has made a covenant to you and it doesn't come to pass? But now he's got a new problem because God has given him his word, his promise, and his covenant. But the question for Abram now has to be, has the sin I have committed, has it nullified the promise? Did I go too far? Is is God through with me? This great promise, this this great call, this, this great privilege given to Abraham, has it now been put away because of a sin? He's 86. And if you can, at the end of verse 16, before you get to chapter 17, you've got this little bitty thin, small white space between the end of chapter 16 and the first of chapter 17. And I want you for just a moment to jump into that white space with me. Chapter 17, verse 1 says, when Abram was 99 years old. But go back to the white space between 86 and 99. In our Bible, it's just, it's just blank. But go back with me in your mind. What's going on between the close of chapter 16 and the start of chapter 17? For 13 years, no new word from the Lord. For 13 years, no knowledge of, of what's going to happen. At 86, he does what he should not have done. And he has a son, but it's not the son of the promise. And between the end of chapter 16 and the start of chapter 17 in the white space is 13 years. 13 years of questions. 13 years of wondering. He's not getting younger during those 13 years. He's getting older. He's feeling worse. His body is not getting stronger, it's getting weaker. And every day in that white space of 13 years is a day that he has to wonder, is the Lord through with me? He's got the promise, he's got the covenant, but he's also got the reality of his own faithlessness. Will God ever speak again? Does God remember who I am? Has God turned his back on me? And maybe for a moment, Abram might think that that God has been too quiet. But in the moments where he may think that God has done him wrong, he very quickly can remember, but look what I have done. He no doubt understands that he has taken things into his own hand. And while he may at times want to blame God, he cannot get away from the reality that he himself has done what was wrong. For 13 years, he has to live with the reality of what he's done and wonder, have I jeopardized, have I nullified this covenant that God has made with me that all the nations of the world were going to be blessed through me? I suppose in some way, even if in a small way, you can identify with that. There have been things I'm sure you've done where you felt guilty. Things you've done where you felt like you were too quick to disobey. And maybe you yourself wondered, have I gone too far? 
will this mean the Lord will forsake me or punish me or be silent toward me? In your Bible, it's just a small little quarter inch of white space, but in reality, it's 13 years of doubt and worry and struggle. Which is why when you go to chapter 17, verse 1, it is amazing when we read these words that when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him. The 13 years of silence has been broken. The Lord speaks. The Lord shows up. It's an amazing thing. 13 years, he's had no new word from God He was 86 when Ishmael was born, and now at 99, the Lord speaks. James Montgomery Boyce writes as he ponders what these conversations must have been like for Abram during these moments of his life. People would perhaps come into town, and perhaps Abram would meet them and greet them, and they would say, Sir, it's nice to meet you. What is your name? And He says, my name is Abram, and the name Abram means exalted father. And they would no doubt say, what a a lovely name, the the exalted father. What a a lovely name, and and what is your wife's name? And he would tell them his wife's name, and they would think, what what a beautiful family you have. So so tell me, exalted father, how, how many children do you have? And for so many years, the answer was, I have none. But for the last 13 years, when someone says, tell me your name, sir, my name is Abram. Abram, the exalted father. What a lovely name. Tell me, how many, how many sons do you have, father? With each time he's asked that question, he has to be reminded that God has yet to fulfill his promise and Abram is living with the reality of his sinfulness. His name has become his shame. And the Lord speaks, and it's an amazing thing that he shows up and speaks again, but if we could just stop right there in verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, we've got to have the understanding, there's going to be some trepidation here if you're Abram, right? It's been 13 years. The last thing that I did was not right, was not good, did not show faith. And now after 13 years, the Lord shows back up and the Lord is going to speak. And while he's got to be glad the Lord remembered him, he's got to wonder, what is he going to say? It's as if the Lord approaches him and in one sense, as if the Lord clears his throat and Abram knows he's about to address me. He's about to speak to me. I wonder what he's going to say to me. What would the first words of the Lord be to him? Would they be words of judgment? Would his first words be words of condemnation? Would he say, Abram, I want you to know I've seen everything that you've done. How could you do that? Would he say, Abram, how could your faith be so small? Abram, what were you thinking? But look at the very first words the Lord says to him. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, here they are, I am God 
Almighty. El Shaddai. These are the first words that the Lord speaks to him after the 13 years. First words he says is not first about Abram or Abram's sin or Abram's weakness or Abram's flaws. The first word Abram hears is a reminder of who God is. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I'm the God with all the strength. I'm the God with all the might. I'm the God with all the power. And as Abram hears these, these are words of comfort, yes, because God has drawn near to him. But, but it's also a word of conviction as Abram is reminded, why wouldn't you trust me? I'm the God with all the power. This is an encouraging reminder that, that God is still God, but it also carries a rebuke. Why would you not follow me? As Abram hears these words, there's a tone of compassion that the very first words here are not of condemnation, but of truth. And yet, it's also words of correction. Don't you remember who I am? I'm God Almighty. I'm the God who can do anything. I'm the God with all the power and with all the might. And if I give you my promise, you should trust me because I can do anything I desire to do. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, today with this truth. Whatever you're facing in your life, whatever you're going through, whatever your family's facing, can I just say to you, be reminded of this. Your God is El Shaddai. Your God has all the power. He has all the might. And let your faith be strengthened, not in your ability, but in His power. What we so often tend to do is, is look at our own fleshly limitations. And what God says to Abram is, don't you know who I am? I'm El Shaddai. Don't worry about your fleshly limitations. See, what happens is Abraham took his eyes off of the power of God and he looked at himself and his own weakness and he fell. This is what happened to Peter walking on the water in Matthew 14. Jesus said, come to me. And Peter is walking on the water until he turns and he looks around and he sees the, the waves and the effects of the storm. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He begins to fall. It's the same thing that happens to you and to me. The Lord has called us and the Lord has commissioned us to do His work and called us to live a certain way. And, and at times we, we live and walk in strength. And other times we look at our weakness and our limitations and we get so distracted by the world around us and we tend to give more time focused on the world than we do on the Lord. That's always to our downfall. But whatever else is going on, these have to be words in the end that strengthen Abram's heart because he's reminded that the God who called him is still the God over all things. He's still El Shaddai. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen says, All Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. You have made the worlds by your outstretched arm and nothing is too difficult for you. God 
has no challenges. Nothing is hard for him. Nothing is hard for him. And the problem for Abram and his wife is that they looked at themselves and their own weakness rather than remembering the strength of their God. So can I just ask you this morning, how do you see God right in the midst of your trial? Do you tend to focus on your limitation? Do you tend to focus on the world around you? Or would you dare to just keep your eyes focused on the Lord for whom nothing is difficult? The Lord says, I am God Almighty. Now look at the next part of verse 1. After saying who God is and, and establishing the theology of who God himself is to Abram, he says, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me. Walk according to my ways. Walk according to my instructions. Don't walk according to your wisdom. Don't walk according to the wisdom of the world. Don't walk according to the struggles of your day. Walk According to me, walk before me, listen to my word, believe in my commands, focus on my power, believe in my strength, walk before me. In other words, wake up every day and remind yourself that El Shaddai is the God who has called you. We would do well to do the same thing. To wake up every day and remind yourself that your God is the Lord God Almighty. Amen? You want to watch the news and before you even turn it on, say to yourself, our God is God Almighty. And when you get through reading the news, you close your phone, remind yourself, nothing is difficult for God. If you don't do that, you're going to look at your own limitations and you're going to look at the threats of this world. And you're going to conclude, I need to take things into my own hands. That's what Abram did. And all he needed to do was be reminded of who his God really was. And this is interesting because while God says, I am still God, I am still El Shaddai, I am still God Almighty, there is a responsibility for Abram, and that responsibility is to walk before him and be blameless. That The wording here means to, to give yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord, to walk in full integrity before the Lord. In fact, the actual language that's used here is a language that would be used to describe allegiance to a king. This is an expression of loyalty to royalty. Walk before me and be blameless. Remember that I am your king. This is what God says to Abram. This is the demand for unqualified and in complete surrender, unreserved, unqualified surrender. It's unreserved, whatever you ask me to do, and it's unqualified. In other words, saying, I will do it no matter what, no conditions. God, what you call me to do, I will do. No reservations, no conditions. How you ask me to live, I will live. How you ask me to speak, I will speak. How you tell me to treat my brother is how I'll treat my brother. How you tell me to serve in, the, in your kingdom is how I'll serve. Whatever you call me to do, unreserved, 
unqualified, no limits, no condition, complete, absolute surrender. This is what the Lord calls of Abram. I am God Almighty. And because that's true, walk before me and be blameless. Now there's something here that I want to point out. When the Lord speaks to Abram, he begins with a quick bit of theology. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I am the God with all the might. I am the God with all the power. I'm the God who can do anything. He says, I want you to start by having a proper understanding of who I am as God. We would call this in systematic theology, theology proper, the the study of the doctrine of God. And in a world where so many people want to jettison doctrine because they think it's not helpful, not practical, it's actually quite the opposite. In Genesis 17, it's the understanding of theology proper that leads to practical living. Know who God is and then walk before me. Know your theology and let that inform your decision making. People say, I want something practical. Here's something practical. Know who God is and then make every decision of your life based on the knowledge of who God is. Nothing could be more practical than the study of theology. It's one of the reasons you're blessed to be at this church where the word of God is loved and taught so well and so faithfully and is esteemed in its proper way. We live in a world, though, where so many people want to ignore theology. They say, I want to live the Christian life. I just don't want any doctrine. It would be like, as one man once put it, to do that is to try to starve yourself in an effort to be strong. That's not the way it works. If you want to be strong physically, you don't starve yourself. Hungry muscles don't grow. You have to feed them. You train them. And you feed them. To try to starve yourself to strength is to be in a losing endeavor from the get-go. As is trying to live the Christian life without a biblical theology. I remember in the very early days at my church, I was on a mission trip out of the country. My roommate was a church member uh, at the time. Um, and a nice man, uh, a, a friend of mine. Uh, I was new to the church. Um, he was encouraging to me, and we were out of the country on a mission trip, and I was brand new as the pastor there, and he said to me, he said, Michael, I, said, I just want you to do me one favor. Uh, he said, the church is going so well, I'm so grateful. He said, would you just, would you just promise me that, that you'll not preach any more doctrine? I kind of said, do what? Or in Oklahoma, I would have said, Huh? He said, just, just don't preach any doctrine. He said, doctrine tends to divide people. Doctrine tends to make people nervous. Just give us something practical every Sunday. We don't need doctrine. Now, this, this was not a mean man. This was a kind man. This was a man who was very nice to me. This was a man who paid money to go on a mission trip and to serve. And yet... His understanding was that what we need is Christian living apart from the knowledge of who God is. That's not the way that it works, is it? 
It's impossible. And we see it even in Genesis 17. Before Abram is called of a certain way to live, he's first called of a certain thing to know. You must know God. And I'll just say to you, friends, that it could be for some this morning gathered in this church that perhaps you're trying to live the Christian life without truly knowing God. And if that's the case, you will always find yourself frustrated. To try to live something you are not is an absolute pointless task. We must know God. And so the Lord says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. It's amazing. The promise is still there. Verse 3, then Abram fell on his face. This is an act of worship. Again, this is total surrender. This is an act of reverence. This is submission. This is genuine worship before the Lord. And what is it that brought about that kind of worship? was just the revelation of God to Abram of who God is. Parents, that the best thing that you can teach your children is the reality of who our God truly is. The best thing you can ever talk about in worship is who God is. The best thing for your decision making is to be reminded of who God is. The best thing you can do for everything in your life and your business decisions and everything about your family and everything about your personal life is to first just stop and be reminded of who God is. And based on the right understanding of our God, we worship. I sense that is absolutely the case in this church. You, you can tell it just in your singing. I leaned over to my wife while we were singing and just commented what, what, a, what a beautiful thing it was, the, the music here at your church. Singing songs that are biblically true and theologically profound and doctrinally rich. And just hearing the people of God lift their voices and sing. What a great gift you have here in your church. And when you sing about who the Lord is and you read scripture and remind yourself of his character, what that does within us is it just produces a life that just continually day after day bows down in submission to the authority and the greatness of our God. This, this is an amazing thing because, again, back to the white space between 16 and 17, Abram has no idea of how this is going to go for him. And now God has shown up. He reminds him of who he is. He tells Abram how he is to live. He reminds him of his promise and of his covenant. And now Abram falls on his face. Verse 4, God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. So the covenant's still there. Can you imagine, in, in any way, can you imagine the relief that this must bring 
to Abram. That while his sin was significant, it wasn't fatal because of God's grace. While his choice has serious consequences, even to this day. Yet God is a God that keeps his promise. And Abram, as he hears this reminder of the covenant, still in his mind has to be thinking, but, but do you see what I look like? God, do you know how old I am? you know how much longer it takes me to get up out of the chair than it did 13 years ago in chapter 16? Getting into the chair is easy. You just fall. It's getting up that's so hard. It's like snow skiing. Falling is really easy. I'm quite good at it. It's the getting up that's so hard. And Abram in his mind has to be thinking, do you see how old I am? But then he remembers, yes, of course you do, because my God is El Shaddai. He remembered his covenant. He kept his promise. And my God is the God Almighty. But look what takes place here. In verse 4, or verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, exalted father. Your name shall be called Abraham, father of a multitude, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. This is an interesting reality. Again, Montgomery Boyce imagines and pictures this possible conversation. For years, Abram's had the embarrassment of meeting people, as I described earlier, and they say, what is your name? My name is Abram, exalted father. How many kids do you have? And the answer is zero. And then it was for 13 years. Well, I, have, I do have one son, but I don't really like to talk about that. And now Abram is going to call people together. He's going to call his family and his businessmen and his workers together. And he's going to have this big conference. And Abram says, I have an announcement to make. Uh, my, my name is no longer going to be Abram. And people start to laugh and think, well, it's about time that the embarrassment caught up to him. Maybe one guy leans over and says, I wondered when he was going to change his name. I bet he got tired of trying to explain away his situation. Somebody else in the back says, well, if my name was Abram, exalted father, and I didn't have any kids, I wouldn't want to be called Abram either. Somebody over here in the corner says, well, he, he got tired of explaining that he just has the one son by the sinful relationship. He wants nothing to do with his name with the word father in it. And it's about time he changed his name. And so now everybody begins to wonder, what's he going to change his name to? They understand in their mind he doesn't want to be Abram anymore. He doesn't want to be the exalted father. His life has been too embarrassing for that. So he's going to have to change his name to just some normal common name like Stephen or something. I don't know. <laughs> and they sit around and say, well, what's his name going to be? What's he going to change his name to? And he says, no longer will my name be called exalted father but he tells them, you're going to now know me as Abraham, the father of a multitude. And the people have to be thinking to themselves, Abram, that's worse. That's worse. I'm an exalted father is embarrassing enough. The father of a multitude and you have one son and your own wife has borne you no sons? Abram, that's worse. 
go with Michael, go with Anthony, go with something, but Abraham? With the addition of one vowel? You want people to call you no longer the exalted father, but the father of a multitude, and you're 99, and you have no sons with you and your wife, and one son with you and her maidservant, and this is the name you've chosen? But it's not the name that he's chosen. This is the word of God. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude. Do you notice the verb tense in verse 5 when you read it? For I have made. It's already happened. It's already settled. How many children does Abraham have with his wife? Zero. And yet the Lord speaks of it as though it's already taken place. I've already done this. How do you speak of something in the past tense that hasn't happened yet? Only one way. If you happen to be El Shaddai, God Almighty, for whom nothing is too difficult for you. If that's who you are, then you declare the end from the beginning and you speak of it as if the whole thing's been accomplished because in the mind of God, it has been. Abram has been wondering, is God ever going to speak to me? And now what he has heard is the Lord say, I know who you are. I remember your name. I know what you've done. I give you grace anyway. I'm going to change your name to reflect my promise. And I will speak of it in the past tense to give you the confidence to know that everything I declare will absolutely come to pass. It's as certain as though it's already taken place. So would you be encouraged this morning? Would you be reminded that our God is El Shaddai? The God with all the power. Who can do anything and accomplish all that he determines to do. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Verse 6. I will make you into nations and kings shall come to you. By the way, this is the, the first time that God adds that Abraham's line will be a royal line which gives us a greater insight in the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew 1.1, that says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Yeah. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And can you grasp, even in part this morning, brothers and sisters, the relief that Abraham feels here? God will still keep his promise. My God has not changed. I have sinned. But God is faithful. I was weak. But God is a covenant-keeping God. For 13 years, Abraham did not know what was going to take place. And now the Lord says, I'm the same God today that made the covenant back then. And I will still do through you exactly what I purposed to do. Friends, our sin is real and our, our sin is significant for no 
time would I ever want to minimize our sin, but I do want to remind you that as the great Puritan Richard Sibbs said, our sin is great, but God is an even greater God. His grace is more powerful than our sin. And in verse 8, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. Now watch this. And I will be their God. I will be their God. What assurance do you need going forward? Just one thing. That God is with you. That's all. I will be their God. Now, I do want you to notice here that verse 6, God says, I will make. Verse 7, I will establish. Verse 8, I will give. Verse 8, I will be. This is all the work of God. In fact, every word in chapter 17, verses 4 to 16, is all spoken by God. This is all the sovereign work of God. Yet, at the same time, Abraham absolutely has a proper response, and it was found back in verse 1, to walk before God and be blameless, to be holy. This is absolutely the sovereign work of God. But God's sovereign work does not mean that we don't have a follow-through. We do. Our follow-through is to be obedience and submission and worship and surrender. And so if I were going to title this message, my title would be The Hope a Name Can Bring. But the hope is not in the name change from Abram to Abraham. That's not where the hope is found. See, if, if Abraham decided to just change his name on his own, all that would do is some paperwork for somebody somewhere behind a desk to change his birth certificate or his name as he's known. That's all it would do. The reason the name change from Abram to Abraham is significant is because of the name El Shaddai. Because the God who changed his name is the God with all the power. So in a few days we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving as a nation. And as believers, we know we have much to be thankful for. But maybe in your home it's been a hard year. And maybe you tell people you're thankful because you know it's the right thing to do. And maybe on a Sunday morning at church we would say, of course, we're grateful because we know it's the right response. But, but maybe in your heart of hearts, when you think back through 2022, you think to yourself that this has not been a really good year. Maybe you've had sickness and Maybe you've lost loved ones. Maybe financial matters are not good. Maybe your kids are not healthy. And in your heart of hearts, you may say, I'm finding it really, really hard to be thankful. Can I remind you? 
that your God is the God with all the power and he will be with you. And if your God has all the might and he has promised to never leave you or forsake you, my friends, we should always be thankful people. And as you think about making disciples in your home, and making disciples in the church, and making disciples here in this area, don't make it too complicated. Teach them who God is and call for people to respond in obedience. And as you think about doing the work of evangelism, don't make it too complicated. Keep it simple. That our God is a holy God. And he has made a way for us. And as you go through Genesis 17, through the rest of the law, and through the wisdom books, and through the prophets, you arrive in the New Testament at the Gospels where we hear the great news that the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. Because our God will always be with us. And when you explain to people about the perfect life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, we're reminded that he said, I will send a comforter to be with you because our God will always be with us. And Jesus himself said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you will be with me because our God will always be with us. And Christ said, if I go away, I will surely come again because our God will always be with us. And one day, whether by death or the Lord's return, we will experience what he has prepared for us for all eternity. We won't need the sun anymore because the light will be with us. Surrounded by the saints of all time. And while Abraham, I'm sure, will be a popular person to go see. It will not be Abraham that will make you fall in worship. It will be the God who has saved you and redeemed you. And one day by his grace welcomed you into your forever home where for all eternity our God is with us. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged this day. Our God is still God Almighty. Our God still keeps his promises. And our God will forever be with us. Amen. Lord, we do thank you today for your word and pray that you would use it to bring encouragement to us, hope to us. Lord, that for any in this room who may not know you as Savior, that this very day you would open their eyes and draw them unto yourself. Lord, for those in the room today who are hurting and weary, Lord, we pray that even this day, you would use the songs we have sung together and the text we have studied to strengthen their hearts and remind them that you are still God.
Almighty. Make us thankful. Make us hopeful. Keep us obedient. And may we live every day of our life in light of the truth that you have all the might. And in that, we give you all the praise. Amen.